0: Hello and welcome to the Divorce Woman's Guide Podcast, where we talk about the things us divorcees are thinking, but not always talking about, as we turn our divorce into the best gift you've ever been given. And I do so with a little bit of sass and a whole lot of class. I am your host, Wendy Sterling, founder of the Divorce Rehab. I am here to support you in this transition phase of your life so you can start your new best chapter on your own terms. After all, that's what I did after my own divorce. And now it is my mission to change the conversation around divorce and help you see why your divorce, like mine, was the best gift you ever received. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Divorced Woman's Guide podcast. How are you doing today? As a reminder, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss a single episode that comes out every single week. And I am really glad that you tuned in to today's episode because I am here with a woman that I am a very huge fan of, and she happens to be the author of the book, Available, A Very Honest Account of Life After Divorce. So I am here with Laura Williams. Hello, Laura. How are you?
1: Hi, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Of course, I am so excited to have you here, as you know. <laughs> this you. is a fan moment, you guys. Um, <laughs> well, I have to thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Um, and you know, I stumbled upon Laura's book about a year ago, and it is it was something that just spoke to me, and I really wanted to have her on the show today, so that we can talk about the importance of regaining all parts of yourself after divorce and how actually she and I uh, used dating as a part of that. And so before we dive in, I want to share just a smidge more about you with our audience today, Laura. So Laura is a native New Yorker. And as I said, she's the author of Available, a very honest account of life after divorce. She also writes a blog about family, divorce, and relationships on Medium. She credits the breakup of her marriage for finally giving her the subject matter about which she both needed and wanted to write. And she lives in downtown Manhattan with her three kids. And so Laura, um, I would love for you to share with our audience. I kind of gave a little sneak peek, I think in your bio about uh, your own journey and what motivates you to do the work and to do the writing that you do today.
1: Well, that it would be, I would take me hours. So I will, I'm going to try to be concise and say, I, um, I was in a very long marriage from the time I was young, 20 years old. I was with somebody for 27 years, had three children and I was living what for me was a really full and rich and meaningful life. And when my marriage ended very suddenly, um, my path took such a turn. In a million years, I would not have been able to foresee that my marriage would end, that my husband would have an affair, and that I would find myself a single woman at 47 who was actually attacking dating like it was you know, my new mission as a midlife woman. Um, so part of the reason, there are many reasons why I wanted to share my story um, so publicly in a book, but one of them was because I really wanted to say, no matter what experience you've had or where you've been, you don't always know where you're going. And that it is very important to be open and to be curious uh, and to accept these massive shifts and bumps and not assume that you are are on a path that will last forever. For me, like where I ended up is not at all where I started or where I would have seen myself. And so for people who think that, you know, they're at the end of a marriage and their lives are over and their relationships are over and their best days of their family are over, I wanted to show that actually there's a totally different narrative. um, And, and mine was very different. So that was important for me to show to other women who like me have found themselves flat on the ground, you know, in the wake of a marriage eruption.
0: Yeah. And, and one of the things that I love about your story is that it is so relatable. And I talk to so many women who are coming out of these, you know, 20 plus year marriages and all of a sudden they're finding themselves single in their, you know, 40s and their 50s and their attitudes are all, you know, messed up because they think that, oh, I'm never going to find somebody again. I'm too old to date. Um, You know, what's a dating app? How do I navigate this? And I think so many people are really scared um, to start over. And so if you can just take us back into kind of what your mindset was back then, like did you have that fear of the unknown and, and how did your mindset play a
1: part in you really, as you say, attacking the dating world um, at that time? I was terrified. So I don't want to make, I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea this flippant idea of like, Oh my gosh, I'm single. I'm living my best life. And there was a moment that I did feel that way, but it certainly wasn't in the beginning. What I felt right. was broken and unrecognizable to myself to my family, and to the world at large. I felt both broken and invisible. I felt like everything that was important to me, everything I had been, had been upended and had been completely different than how I perceived it. So I'm sure for you and many of your listeners who have been in positions like this, when you identify so strongly as a wife and a mother, and those, I mean, I continued to be a mother, but it was different. You know, it's it's very different. Suddenly I was a single mother. That's very different than parenting together in a home where you have very clear roles as a homemaker, which is what Mm -hmm. I was. And my husband as, you know, the financial keeper of us. Um, And it was very important to me to be his wife. I liked being a wife. I always wanted to be married. I wanted a family. I got it and I loved it. And I just wanted more of the same. There was, I didn't have an itch for anything else. I, I really was content with my life. So when I found myself in, in this situation, I think what I felt most of all was fear, fear that my life, as I knew it was going to be over and the best was behind me and that this was all that there was going to be now was this desire to survive, but I wasn't talking about thriving anymore. I was talking about surviving. Like, how will I get through this? How will I endure? Not how will I find peace or joy or love again? just how will I get through this? So that, it scared me because I looked at my choices. There's either don't go out, you know, completely retreat into yourself or put yourself out there, risk getting rejected and hurt or finding something interesting. And um, so to me, it was, it really was it, it wasn't really even a choice. It was, the, the path to me was very clear. I couldn't stay where I was. I was so uncomfortable being in this new role of, you know, single mom, um, you know, a wife who had been betrayed by, by the man she loved the most. I was so unhappy and uncomfortable in that role that anything would have been preferable. And what that anything turned out to be was, you know, finding myself through, you know, having a lot of conversations with men and putting myself out there. So I, I, when I hear that that people are scared to get out there, I think, isn't it scarier to stay where you are?
0: Yeah. I mean, mic drop, right? 100%. (laughs) No, it is, you know, and I and similarly, right? Like I was so wrapped up in my identity, you know, as his wife, as mom, as corporate executive. And and part of what I, well, the, the big thing I lost was myself. Wow. And, you know, as we were talking before we hit the record button, you know, one of the things that dating helped me to do was to really regain confidence in myself. And it wasn't, um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. For me, it wasn't about seeking external validation for who I was. It was more about me engaging in conversation with people as Wendy and just getting comfortable in my own skin and, and taking that out. I I say that like, I kind of took her out on a test drive a lot Mm -hmm. of times, right. Um, To be able to, to stand and speak confidently about who I was now on the other side. Did you have a similar point of view?
1: Totally. And it's an interesting distinction that you're making about not seeking external validation because you need some of it to keep going, right? You need, it's sort of like being doing anything and you need a little bit, uh, enough praise uh, or enough recognition to keep feeling that what you're doing is is progressing towards something. And so while in the beginning, I think I was putting myself out there to just see what there was in the world, right? Like I yeah. haven't been since I was 20, now I'm 47, What does this look like? What does this feel like? I'm just going to play the role of a woman who seems to know what she's doing, and maybe I'll figure it out, or I'll fool somebody into thinking I know what I'm doing, and they'll take me home with them. And that's what happened. Like I I just, I just decided I'm going to play this role as long as I can. But I did in the beginning need some external validation. You know, I needed to know that I wasn't invisible, that I wasn't broken, that I wasn't damaged goods, that I was just human. And I think that what I found out by talking to people and dating and sleeping with men was that I was just human. That was it. You know, I was deeply flawed. I also was deeply lovable. I also had a lot to give still. I was also really trusting, even though my heart had been broken. I also really still trusted people to do the best thing by me. And I was trustworthy. That was the other thing, you know, and I, I really sort of, once I started going I think in the beginning I was more like physically self-conscious, you know, I felt like, I mean, people haven't seen my body. Nobody's seen my body since it was 20 years old and it had been given birth three times. Right. Well, I don't know, you know, this could be a horror show. Like it, maybe my gynecologist and my husband, they're the only two people who have really seen my body. Maybe they've been keeping from me that something's really like not right here. So I think after I had a couple of experiences with men, I felt like, okay, I, I've gotten validation. Now I see everything works. Everything is where it's supposed to be. If nobody else is complaining about it, I'm not gonna complain either. Right. Um, you know, and I, and so that, I, need, I did need that little bit of external, but the rest of it really was more a sense of, I thought I knew myself really well. I didn't know myself as well as I thought. I have an opportunity right now to learn a lot more about myself. I have the freedom in very small windows of time you know, between taking care of the kids and living my life, I have these very small pockets to really explore who I am outside of being a wife and a mother and a homemaker. Um, And I didn't have a career. I'd given up my career to raise my children. So I didn't even have that to look at myself as a unique identity. I only had who I was in relation to other people. And um, I embraced it. I really embraced it. I wouldn't have thought that I would have, but I did.
0: Yeah. And I guess the way that I see what you're describing as it's external feedback, right? Yes. That it's feedback coming from other people, positive or negative, whatever it is, it's neutral. And I agree with you. There, there is somewhat of a fear of like, is does this even feel right? That's why, like I kind of say it's a test drive, right? That it's like, does yeah. this feel right? Like, what do I still need to work on? Or, you know, you're trying to communicate something and you're like, oop, I gotta. That that did not hit or land the way I wanted it to, or that didn't come out right, or um, you know the other the other piece that I also wanted to hit on that you said is that you know so many of us in our 40s, yeah, we've given birth, we've had babies, yeah. and similarly, I was terrified terrified of the first time that I was going to have to take my clothes off Mm -hmm. with a man, you know, that wasn't my husband. And I know that a lot of people feel that way. And it was really interesting because the feedback that I was getting, like, we're all our own worst body critics, right? Like we just look in the mirror and we're like, oh, that's got to go. That's got to go. Oh God, that's horrible. How do I cover this? And what I slowly actually realized was that men don't look at us the same way that we look at ourselves and i remember you know hearing you know, I'm going to to my own horn, right? We get to do that. We get to feel yeah. in our bodies, but it was like, all of a sudden people are like, wow, you're in really good shape. And you know, mm-hmm. how many kids have you had? And you know, your, your muscle tone in this. And I was like, I have muscle tone. What What are you talking like? What, are you, what where? do you see? Like where can you draw like lines and tell me? Right. But I think that that's a, a really interesting, um, experience that I know that you talk about. And to me, I found you sharing your stories as empowering, right? It's you are coming from a place of choice. You chose to date. You chose to engage in whatever it was that you chose. You guys need to buy the book and read her really Mm -hmm. hysterically funny stories of all the men that she dated, but to me, you know, I think that there's some critics out there who would say, like, "Oh my God, what are you doing?" And, you know, that that's not appropriate or whatever the judgments are going to be. But to me, it's empowering, right? Yeah. Did you feel that as you were going through this dating experience?
1: Well, yes and no. I think what I felt was um, once I kind of hit my stride, what I felt was the joy and distraction. Um, I also felt very physically present, like in my body. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, we can really lose sight of that. Our bodies, you know, I think from the moment we get pregnant and we're nursing or not, you know, whatever happens, you're sort of giving yourself so physically to your children. And then in many ways, I felt that I was also physically giving myself to my husband. That wasn't really about me and my body anymore and what it could do or what it was capable of or what it enjoyed. But about what it could do for other people. Like it was like an act of right. service right. for me. Like sex was an active service. Like my husband needs this. I'd rather just curl up and go to bed because I'm exhausted. But like I know he needs this. So as an active service, I will, you know, have sex with my husband. And it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it. It just wasn't really about me or, or what I wanted. And when I started dating again, I realized I love sex. I love having sex. And I I can make it about myself now. And I mean, I'm giving too. It's not like it's all about me, but right. it's all like a learning process. I learned to be comfortable in my body and expressing myself sensually in ways that I had never thought about before. So that was a huge um, eye-opening experience to me that I got through dating. And so I think when I was going through it, there was a part of me that was like purely thrilled and sort of enjoying this new found lust. Like here I am, I've been with one man for 27 years and now I get to sleep with wherever I want. I can have a weekday tryst if I want. I can sleep with my younger man. I can sleep with an older man. You know, I can try out all these different things, but I can call up my girlfriends and I can give them the blow by blow and they can't do it because they're married and they're hanging on every word. <laughs> they're living through you, Laura. Only <laughs> living vicariously through experiences. They can't get enough of it. Uh, but on the other hand, what am I doing? This is not what I was raised to do. You know, I was raised to be monogamous, even, you know, before my husband, I had two boyfriends. I was like a serial monogamist and there was the goal being in a relationship and having sex with somebody was goal oriented. And so what's the goal now? If the goal is just to be present, what's the end game. And so it took me a little while to get over feeling ashamed of that, you know, Sure, it was fun to tell my girlfriends, but like I couldn't even tell my kids I was dating. I didn't want to tell my mother what I was doing. There was still a lot of shame for me in being feeling that it was okay to be a woman who liked having sex without wanting a commitment or a ring, you know, that that was okay. So um, it wasn't in the end, was it empowering? Incredibly, it continues to be empowering because I I grew into myself. You know, I learned, raised those things and to say, I have all this power. I didn't know I had it. You know, it was too connected to other people. It never stood on its own two feet. And now my power, you know, it's it's part of me. I I I can decide. I get all these choices and decisions that we make for ourselves about who we sleep with, who we date, you know, who we live with, what we're going to talk about, what we're going to write about. Those, you know, that's that's what our voices are going to say. That that's amazing.
0: It it is, and you know, I want to go back to what you were saying before around, you know, when you were married, you felt like, you know, your body was in service to everybody else. And and I can relate so incredibly much with that statement. And I know a lot of listeners are too. And I think that one of the things that I learned about dating was what it felt like to actually enjoy, Mm -hmm. right, for myself, what being physical with a man felt like and instead of being in my head around like oh is my stomach stuck you know sucked in enough or you know um d- is he having fun is he enjoying himself it was really it really helped me to understand my body mm-hmm. way better than i ever knew and you know similarly my ex husband and i were together since we were 18 like he was I hadn't really had a sexual experience with anyone other than my high school sweetheart. And that was it. And so for me, a lot of what I learned through these encounters through dating um, was really learning about my body, what felt good, what didn't feel good, what I liked, what I didn't like. And that also applies to like the type of men that I dated, right? Like I was married to an attorney. I wanted to date an artist and a musician, and I did stay away from attorneys <laughs> for yeah. some time. Um, but you know, but I wanted to get to know different kinds of people, and yeah. you know, I think that there's just like such a curiosity factor. It's almost like our curiosity like has been locked away. And all of a sudden it just, it's like, oh, I don't have yeah. to ask permission. I can decide what I want to do when I want to do it. I, you know, I, I can swipe right. If I'm like, oh, I want to know what it feels like to be with a younger man, or I want to know what it feels like to be with a, a much older man or, you know, and, and they like, I remember, because I, I, I really dated, such a wide variety of people. Yeah. And and I also found that through those different experiences, it helped me to narrow down on yeah. what I wanted, right? Like what worked for me, what didn't work for me, engaging in these conversations, like how important is conversation? How important is telephone conversations before in person? What does intimacy mean? I I didn't know what intimacy meant. I really didn't until maybe a couple of years ago, like a year into dating, I was like, oh, that's what that's all about, (laughs) you know? And, and I think that, you know, I don't think women speak enough about their own sexual experiences when they're married versus when they're dating. And that's why, like, I love your book. And it's so incredibly refreshing because you're like, I got to explore myself. Like you really got to know yourself, which is empowering, I believe. And it also is, I find you wildly inspiring. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think that, you know, there's, there's also a certain amount of like, I call it kind of like this ripple effect, right? Like your friends are starting to see like, oh my God, Laura's like, Probably, I mean, I know my friend said this, like, you know, Laura's coming alive. Oh my God, look at these experiences she's having. Like my friends would make me tell them about all these dates when I would come home. And, you know, to all my listeners, like I was telling Laura, I actually have a Word document of all the dates. And one day it will be a book <laughs> um, of all these dates that I went on for like the first two years of my experience of dating. And each of them had a code name because they were that memorable of a date where it was, you know, those experience every now and then I was like, wow, this exists or wow, this is possible yeah. or wow, they really said that. Or, you know, it's like these moments where you're just like, I felt like I was a kid in a candy store. Yeah. I was just like, 100%. right. You're just like, oh my God, like I'm overwhelmed and like, I want that. And I want this. Oh, (laughs) not that again, you know?
1: Right. That one left a bad taste in my mouth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And so, you know, there's kind of like this ripple effect, not just within you, but like your friends. And I agree. Oh my God. I was horrified to tell my parents that I was dating in my forties. Like that was a weird experience um, in and of itself. But then you know, the other part that I want to talk about with you is our kids, you know, the effect of dating on our kids. And I would love for you to share. um, I'll ask the question in this way, right? When I dated, it was when I didn't have my children. And when I had my kids, I, that's when I did not go out on dates until I was in a long-term relationship and that person wound up meeting my kids. But when I dated, my kids didn't know I was dating. I didn't tell them because to me, their world was already rocked enough that I didn't wanna expose them at the time. Um, How did you approach letting your kids know once you did, when you started dating, because I know for me, there came a point where I eventually, you know, they would call me at like, you know, seven o'clock at night and it would still go to voicemail. They're like, mom, where are you? What are you doing? You're home alone. It's like, mm, I'm not home alone. And yeah. <laughs> so how did you navigate that?
1: That is, re- it's really hard. The hardest thing hurting or you want to move on and you, you know, you're scared, but you need to get back out there as much as you feel it for yourself you know, you're, it's such a concern for how the kids are going to adapt to that right. and don't want to make anything harder for them right. than, than already what they're coping with. In my case, I also really had children almost all the time because, um, right. two of my kids weren't really seeing their father. Right. And so I almost always had somebody home with me. Um, and so what I had with these really limited pockets of time, like a couple of hours, maybe one evening. Uh, certainly not overnight, you know, these were really small pockets. And so I just became very efficient with my time. Um, you know, I would only go when leaving them. Like if my son was sleeping late, I knew he would sleep until noon, then I could have a coffee date. Um, if the kids were in school, then I had, you know, maybe a, a little window of time around lunch, um, you know, to, to squeeze in a date to coffee atrist whatever it was. So uh, that's how it went for a while. It was, everything was very fleeting. and I made it incredibly clear to anybody, like, this is all I have time for. And if you're looking for more than this, it's not going to be for me because I have no more to give to you. And that worked for a while. Um, and then I started, it's my daughter started going more regularly. My young daughter with her dad on Saturday nights. And I started to go have more of like a sort of date night, Saturday night. Yeah, my, when my eldest was away at college, So it was just me and my teenage son living at home, you know, on the weekends. And I finally just confessed to him because I didn't want to lie. And I didn't want to sneak around. I think, you know, my family hurt by my husband's infidelity. And the last thing I wanted for the kids was to be wondering what I was doing. So I thought I'm going to have to rip this Band-Aid off because I know that the most important thing is to be honest and direct and to frame this the way I need it framed. So, and I said to my son, "I, I need to see what's out there. I just need to see, you know, I'm, I don't want it to affect you negatively um, this isn't a change the kind of mother I'm going to be to you, but I need to see. And he said, okay, like, I don't want to know about it, but go live your life. Like, I want you to be happy. So that was great. Then a few more months passed. Um, my daughter, my eldest daughter, who was, I guess, 18 at the time came home from her freshman year of college. And she, before I could even tell her that I was dating, she walked in and heard me on the phone with somebody and it was just an innocent conversation, but she asked who I was talking to and I couldn't lie fast enough. So I said to her, um, it's somebody I'm dating. And she flipped out. Mm -hmm. It was to her, it was the ultimate betrayal. Um, You know, where my son had been like, go live your life. She was like, absolutely stop your life right now. Mm -hmm. Until we got our footing again. We as a family don't have our footing. And so you're not allowed to explore. I only want you to be my mother. I don't want you to be a woman out in the world. I only want you here in the role that you've always had. And letting her understand that that was no longer possible, it was so painful. I saw how scared she was. She was scared. She was hurt. And she was angry. She did not want me to move on. And I felt really bad about it. I felt, I mean, maternal guilt is no small thing to grapple no, with it is ever. Not.
0: Guilt is real. And
1: the guilt is very real. And the problem is, you know, up until then, it had been easy enough to be like, well, this is all dad's fault. Right. Like I didn't say that, but we all knew it. I mean, my kids were smart when they were old enough to know, like, this was not my doing. So I'm just the hurt byproduct of dad's actions. But now I'm choosing to date, I'm choosing to move on. Now I am the culprit. It's because of me that things are not the way you want them to be. You feel hurt because of my actions. And so we had, but, but what's the alternative? The alternative was not to do it. And I think that's a, that's a lot for a kid to live with, to feel that you're stopping your life for your kid. I, it didn't seem appropriate either. So I just kept going and I had, was very honest with her. I was apologetic, I'm sorry this hurts you. But also sometimes I was angry, like, hey, sorry this hurts you, but guess what? I'm in pain too. Yeah, This didn't just happen to you. It happened to me. Why is this not never about me? Why is it never about the mother? You know? So I think it was very bumpy. It continued to be very bumpy. Um, and then we just, you know, we just kept having really honest and painful conversations and we worked our way through it. And so I have you know, I've been dating somebody for a few years, and he's met all my kids, um, but I still, you know, for me, this is what works for me in my family. I still keep it pretty separate. When I'm with my kids, um, I, I don't usually have him over because I really just enjoy the time with my kids. And, and I love, they still really need me to be their mom, you know, and to be exclusively their mom when I'm here. And they don't wanna have to see me as somebody's girlfriend. And I'm okay with that. You know, I may not be okay with it forever, but I'm okay with it now. And so it works for us. You know, they know about him. I talk about him a lot. They know that he's very good to me and he really respects me. And they, they really appreciate ha- the role he plays in my life. And they're happy I'm happy. And that's, that's enough for everybody. He has children that are like slightly older than my kids. They're in their 20s. And I'm more a part of their lives you know I'm more part of his family's life because that's what's comfortable for him So I don't think it has to be all one way or the other I think he's very understanding of the fact that um, my kids are always going to come first there is room for him there's definitely room for him but it, it's going to come after my kids I think it's I think it's really hard I think it's a fine line because I think if you wait until your kids are ready to share you mm-hmm. then you'll be waiting the rest of
0: long your life.
1: <laughs> a long time maybe forever. Yeah. I'll never really be ready. No. And if you trample on top of your, on your kids' feelings and say, well, I don't care if you're ready because I am. And you have people stay over at your house or, you know, when they're not ready to share you like that, that's also maybe too much. So I think there's a fine line and it depends on the children you have um, and their temperaments and that it's important to just be respectful. Like I did not impose anybody on my kids. I did not. This is their home right? Where I live is their home. And I don't ever want them to feel uncomfortable in their home by having a person here that is not their parent or their sibling. Right. And that's it. That's my choice. For some people, they really want to get remarried or they really want to cohabitate. And then they have to make that work. I would just be careful about doing it too quickly, right? Like I, that's the one thing I see in, in people when they, you know, move on, that they have men or women, be part of their family just too quickly. Yes. And that's- I think that's just, I think that's, it's too much pressure for everybody.
0: Yeah. And that, that was my kid's experience. And, you know, it's interesting because my ex-husband actually made me telling my kids, I was dating a lot easier because he moved on so quickly and mm-hmm. so fast and, It came to the point where like I, my kids' worlds were not just rocked by our family unit as they knew it disintegrating, but then all of a sudden there's this new woman and she is now their stepmom and all of a sudden it was, you know, just this Zero to 120 mile an hour, life change for them. Um, I also think you know our kids' ages play a role in yes, absolutely. you know them also being ready to hear mom or dad are dating again. Um, you know, and and really, my ex allowed me the opportunity to just kind of keep my dating life private from my kids in the beginning because they were just it was too much for them. And I also was in a place where I, you know, similar to you, it was like, I am not looking for a long-term relationship. I am not looking to be someone's girlfriend. Like I am looking to meet people. I'm looking to have fun. I'm looking to, you know, go out and do fun things with somebody else. I'm looking to have conversation. Like there was I couldn't handle anything more than that at that point. Right. Because you're just, you're juggling so much during this process, but when my kids were kind of over that hump finally of, of, you know, what was going on with their dad, that was when I was able to kind of share with them. And and similarly, right. You, you hold space for their feelings, right. You engage them in conversation. And it was an opportunity for me to finally tell my boys, like, guys, like, I, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I've been dating. Like, how do you feel about that? What comes up for you? And I think one of the things that you said so beautifully with your daughter is that you held space for her feelings. You didn't make it about them being wrong or, you know, them, you know, making her feel bad for having them. It's really, we get to hold space for what our kids experiences because it doesn't just impact our life. It also impacts their life. And my kids didn't meet anybody until that person, I knew that that person was going to be in my life for an extended period of time. And, you know, because to me, similarly, I'm sure that, you know, it's kind of, you know, the foundation for reasons as to why you haven't integrated him into your family life. Is it like our kids have been through enough and if they're going to oh. come and fully integrate, this has got to be something yeah. long-term, right? Yes. And I also was never somebody who said I wanted to get remarried. I was not you know, on my list of to-dos, like it was when I was in my twenties, right? When I was in my twenties, it was like, become a mom, get married. You know, I I say this too, like I come from, you know, my family's Jewish. It was marry a doctor, marry a lawyer, like marry somebody financially stable, this, that, and the other. And it was like, here I am in my forties. And I'm like, well, I'm financially stable. I have a career I can stand on my own two feet. So I get to pick who gets to come in and be like, it's an honor and a gift to be a part of my life, to get to know and to be a part of my kids' lives. And I think that, you know, and, and not, I think I was going to say that um, the other point that you made is that your kids come first. Yeah. And that has been number one, every man I've ever dated, I've always said my children will always come first. That means that if something comes up and we have plans, you will not win on that. Like, that's just the way that it is. And it doesn't mean that I don't compromise, right? But it means that my kids' needs and priorities will always come first because they are my babies. They are my world. They are my everything, right? And- I don't think a lot of people are upfront about that information because sometimes they're afraid, oh, what is this person going to think? And I'm going to lose them. Yes. And there's a certain amount of confidence, right? And trust in knowing that you'll find somebody, but then, you know, you get into that mindset game of like, well, but what if I don't find somebody?
1: Yes. And there, and also what if I, what if I don't find somebody who's good to me? What if I don't find somebody who accepts my role as a mother? What if they don't want to hear me? I mean, I, I know that there's people also, you know, I don't think, for example, I never thought I'd be with somebody who was so much like significantly older than I am. Uh, and I don't think that he expected to date somebody who had a child at home, who was like eight years old when we started dating, you know, like right. that's not like about to leave the house. That's a long time. Right. That means, you know, I can't go out in the evenings. Like you might have tickets for something really fun or a dinner with clients and you'd like me to come, but well, I'm not going to get a babysitter for my child on my nights with her. Cause I don't, I already have to share her with her dad. So, you know, that's just not how it's going to be. How do I find somebody for whom that's attractive and not a deterrent. And I think that that was one of the things I really recognized about the man I'm dating is that for him, it was attractive. He saw my role as a mother, my fierceness and my loyalty to my children as something that was really attractive to him. And so when I dropped everything for them or when I changed plans because a kid was upset and needed me, he was like, no, I love what a great mom you are and how dedicated you are to your kids. If you chose to do something different, I wouldn't, love you nearly as much. I exactly. love this quality of yours. So I felt that it was actually an asset and I found somebody who saw that in me. Of course, at the same time, you have to be able to figure out how to move on in your life and not let every single thing stop you. So I think that's when it becomes a, a very, very delicate balance of mm-hmm. juggling what you need and who you want to be as a mom and what somebody else needs in partnership with you. There've been many times I've said to this gentleman, you should be with someone who has more time for you you know, you're, you have all this free time. You live alone. Your kids don't live with you. Your kids are grown. You have a lot more time. And I have every other weekend. And sometimes I don't even have that. You should be with somebody else. And one day he finally said to me, you know what? I take quality over quantity. Uh, I'll take you when I can get you. And let's just leave it at that. And you can stop trying to send me away. <laughs> you am you not getting rid out. of him. <laughs> <laughs> And I so, that. I it took the pressure off of me though because I'd been feeling sure. really anxious. Like, I don't know how to tell you this, but I have you know kids for the next three weekends because my ex husband is traveling or we've got family events, and so I may not see you for a few weeks. And the guilt I felt then on his behalf, like you deserve more than this. You need a partner. You need a companion. You should have somebody to go to that dinner with you. Um, and he was like, you need to release yourself from that because that's not your responsibility either. And so. I really just, I don't, I don't really feel so much guilt anymore. I feel like I'm there as much as I need to be there for my kids, as much as I want to be there. And I also think one of the beauties of being a single parent is my, my time with my kids is mine. Mm -hmm. It's great. Like when I'm, when I'm with my kids, it's just, you know, me and them, or even if one kid is maybe that my daughter's with her father. And so I have dinner alone with my son you know, that, that is something I can do or traveling alone for the first time recently with my daughter for spring break, you know, for five days, that these are really amazing times because we're one-on-one or, you know, a few children and me, but I'm not quarreling with my husband, you know, we're not, I'm not negotiating. It's like really just about what the kids and I want to do. And I feel that our relationships are so much better. So uh, I guess in all of this, and this is true in every aspect of post-divorce dating and parenting, a lot of this is how you choose to look at it. And I think that to be successful, to be able to date successfully, to be able to parent successfully, you have to be able to be honest about what you've lost, but also embrace what you've gained. And it can't just be about what. how does my dating take away from my children? If I thought about it in that sense, I would feel guilty all the time. I would think, well, it's taking away my time from them, or it's taking, you know, there's no chance. They know now that I'm not going to get back together with their father. They know now that I'm, that I have other needs that they can't meet. Like, you know, they're not enough. Well, they are, but, and I do need more. And I, so I actually, I feel that, you know, there's so much modeling that we can do for recalibrating after a hardship in our family um, finding love again, learning to redefine happiness and love for ourselves. And I feel that for all my kids have lost and there's been significant losses they have also gained. And I have to believe that otherwise I'd be, you know, in a fetal position.
0: A hundred percent. And And our kids are more resilient than we give them credit for, right? What they crave is stability and safety, and that's ultimately what they need to feel. And they also get to understand that we get to have a life and it makes us a better version of mom, right? I'm a better mom because I'm allowed to indulge in what makes me feel good, spending time with people that make me feel good, doing things that I need to do when they're not around and you know and even creating like at the end of the day it's really about creating boundaries for yourself and also for your family unit, right? With other people coming in, like, and, and I'll say on the other side, right? Like my boyfriend is very integrated into my kids' lives. I am integrated into his kids' lives. And there are still times where my boys and I want to have alone time and he doesn't get to come to everything. And it's the same way with him and his kids. Like he still gets to have alone time with his kids because that is so important for me. I, I, I also want his kids to know like, Hey, I don't need to be everywhere all the time. Like, and to be honest, I don't, I really love (laughs) having my own time either to myself or to spend time with my boys. Like it's just different. And I hope that everybody listening is hearing from what both Laura and I are saying is that you can have it all and you can have it the way you want it. And there are partners out there in the dating world on the apps that are going to fit into the life that it is that you desire. And it, and, and if Laura and I can tell you guys anything, you know, and Laura, I'm going to have you leave our guests with like one final word. And, you know, but if there's anything that you guys are getting from this episode, it's that it doesn't matter where you are, how old you are, or what circumstances are surrounding your divorce you have the conscious choice to make to get yourself back out there because where you're at is in my opinion, and as Laura said, is staying stuck is worse than what's on the other side. And it's just the unknown that you're telling yourself stories about. And it can be amazing and it can be great. And there's so much growth and learning on that side that I encourage you guys to to dip your toe in. If you need support, ask for it. But Laura, what do you want to share with our audience um, as one final piece of advice as we wrap up our episode?
1: I would say just be curious and be bold. You know, don't, you're not going to have it all figured out. Everything is not going to end exactly how you want it. And for me, it was like, I always say, it's like jumping into cold water. I hate jumping into any water, warm or cold. I don't like getting wet, but you know, sometimes you have to do it. It's the only way to do it. And so just try it because there's certainly, there is so much positivity, life, love, happiness to be found on the other side of divorce, but you've got to be in it if you're going to find it. And so even if you're scared, just try, just try it. Take baby steps if needed, bring a friend if you need it. But it's, there are, I I don't like to hear this very common trope of, you know, that it's so hard, there's no good men and like the dating apps are all terrible. I hate to hear that because it's not true. There are many women like you and me who have very fulfilling relationships on our own terms. Yeah. And this, I hear this from dozens of women. So I know it's possible. You just have to get to that point. So that's really all I would say is just, you know, keep your mind open, be brave and you'll get to the other side.
0: I love it. Oh my gosh, Laura, this was truly such a fun and great conversation. I I adore you and I want you to plug your book and tell people how they can find you and follow you um, on
1: social. Thank you, Wendy. I appreciate that. So uh, my book is available in bookstores or on Amazon. It's actually available as a Kindle book and audio book, which I narrated or as just a a paperback. Now it's on paperback. So anybody can get it from there. And I'm on Instagram at Laura Friedman Williams. And um, I write this blog on Medium, also Laura Friedman Williams. And and I'm always happy to hear from people. I love to hear people's stories. And so if anybody wants to drop me a line, a DM on Instagram, that's the best way to to reach me. I'm always happy to hear from people or give them a little nudge of encouragement if that's what they need. Um, So yes. So thank you.
0: Oh my God, of course. And I DM'd you on Instagram and I was like, I've got to have you on my show. Well, um, I answered. I love DMs. I know, and you answered. I like literally was like, oh my God, she wrote me back. She does, you guys, <laughs> she will write you back. I Laura, <laughs> I adore you. I really do. And everybody, you've got to get this book. I actually listened to it on Audible because- it was like my treat when I got to work out on the treadmill. Like I, it's such a fun book to listen to. Um, and just, it's super inspiring. And Laura, thank you so much for being vulnerable and honest and sharing your story because truly that is really what helps and lets other people know that they're not alone. So thank you so much for being my guest today.
1: Thank you for giving me a place to share my story. Of
0: course, of course, and everybody tuning in, oh my God, was that not just a a crazy good episode? I loved it, and I just, I hope you guys got some really good nuggets of information that will help you guys to navigate wherever it is that you are in your process. Even if you're not in the dating space, this is just the tip of the iceberg for you to just kind of start thinking about it. You don't have to enter in, but if you're thinking about dipping your toe, let today's episode be an inspiration tool for you guys. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. Don't forget to join my Facebook group, The Divorce Rehab, and to also subscribe to my podcast. You can follow me across all social media at Divorce Rehab with Wendy. Thank you guys so much for being here today. Sending you all so much love, light, and joy as always. Bye everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorced Woman's Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this episode with someone you know or spread the word on social media. This is how I reach more divorcees around the world and provide them with the support they need to create their next best life. And I would also love to continue the conversation with you. So please friend me on Facebook, Join my private Facebook group, The Divorce Rehab, and follow me on Instagram at Divorce Rehab with Wendy. I'll see you next time.